Pauline, give me some of your tots. I ate his liver with some fava beans. A nice Chianti. Combo, pan fry, deep fry, stir fry. Yummy! Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Cooking Show. I am your host, Bob, and it is Christmas week. So we have a fun little themed recipe for the Christmas season. This week, we're making partridge in a pear tree. And unfortunately, I had this idea like on Friday, so I didn't have time to actually get partridge. However, in the show notes, I'll have a link to where you can procure procure uh, a partridge for yourself, but you know, the shipping time and currently they are out of stock, but I'm sure that as we get through the Christmas season, they will get them back in stock. It's Fossil Farms out of New Jersey where you can get a, a partridge. But for for this dish, I'm just using a roasted chicken, uh, specifically the breast, um, because it works with uh, the flavor palette that we're going to put together. So What's great about this, this recipe, this whole, this, this dish in general, is that the complexity in flavors and contrasts, color and all that kind of stuff comes from just like really basic components. The individual parts of this are very easy. There's nothing technically difficult, nothing difficult in terms of like ingredient or process or anything like that. Each component is very simple. And then when you put them together, it creates uh, a really, a really nice collage (laughs) of flavors and colors and everything like that. And it's like narratively consistent, you know, it's partridge in a pear tree. So you have your poultry, you have your poached pear, you have a a broccoli cross section and it's, uh, it's fun. And that's what we're doing. (laughs) Okay. So as with every recipe, take a look at the show notes, you'll see the plain text recipe. Um, we'll put a link in there to the partridge. And we'll have a link to the, the imager album with the step-by-step photographs and everything like that. No special equipment, though a an enameled cast iron Dutch oven would be beneficial, but you can roast that chicken in any type of vessel. But doing it in the Dutch oven, do it uncovered, and then at the end when we need it to rest for a while, pull it out and put the lid on, it'll stay hot for a very long time. I think I had like 30 to 45 minutes of additional prep once the chicken was done, and yet when I uncovered it and pulled it out onto a cutting board, it was still like just a little too hot to handle with bare hands. So, you know, you have lots of time here. Also, in terms of time, you know, the, the total preparation, you're looking at maybe three or four hours, but most of that is just the, uh, the, the chicken in the oven and it's very idle. It's not like it's active the whole time. So, uh, you know, you have maybe a half hour, 45 minutes of hands-on cooking, and then you have something that comes out that looks like you spent a lot more time because technically you did, but it was, uh, it was passive is passive. All right. So, uh, let's get started here. We're going to go like in, in the order of mm, producing all the things. So we're not going to do like a rundown of the ingredients at the top because uh, a lot of that stuff you won't need until like three hours into this. Start off with your chicken. Very simply seasoned salt, pepper, put a little olive oil on the skin, salt and pepper, dot it with butter. You can put the butter under the skin if you'd like. Um, but really I'm just trying to get like a, 
a very mild but still crispy skin. Like I don't want it to be charred and dark the way like a rotisserie chicken or if you really, you know, turn up the broiler at the end of the baking process. We want just like a nice golden brown color, a little crispy skin, be real nice. The chicken itself seasoned with just salt and pepper and butter and roasted because we want that to be like a clean palate. Every bite of this is it's reminiscent of like a Thanksgiving dinner where you get a little bit of the protein and then some of the accoutrements, like all in the same bite. Some of the uh, candied walnuts, uh, the dry cranberries, the poached pear, the butternut squash puree, maybe a chunk of roasted broccoli. And you get that all together on one fork and you get the full complement of flavors in each bite. Okay. So 325 degree oven, your lightly seasoned chicken breast up, put it in there uncovered for about three hours. Okay. As you get closer to the end of that cooking time, we can inch that heat up like 375, 400 for the last 15, 20 minutes. That will crisp up the skin, but it will also bring the oven up to a higher temperature that you'll need for roasting the broccoli at the end. But you get your, um, get your chicken in there and then we want to go over to our butternut squash. And for the butternut squash, I'm basically using a vegetable peeler to, to remove the rind from the outside. And then I cut it in half so I can scoop out the seeds. And then, you know, you cut off the, the stem end and the, the, what would you call it, the root end, the other end that has a little, little, uh, it's a little hard spot for the end of the, of the butternut squash. Cut that in half so you have the, the two uh, halves, you've removed the seeds, put, you know, a tablespoon, two tablespoons of butter into the cavity. And then reassemble that squash. Put the put the lid back on. You can hit it with a little salt and pepper. Wrap it in aluminum foil, and then that can go in the oven, 325, with the chicken, for you know one to two hours. We want this to be really soft, and at that really moderate oven temperature, it shouldn't brown too much. You may get a little bit of browning on the bottom. Like I put it in a small cast iron pan just so that if the juices from the squash and the butter. If it leaked out, it would get caught in that pan, but it didn't, it was fine. But where the squash sits on the pan got a little just, and it not, it's not burnt, it's not scorched, but just a little bit of browning, but that's fine. We want this to be really nice and soft because we're going to puree it later, add a little bit of butter, maybe add a sweet component, and then that's going to form sort of the foundation of our plate. So yeah, that, that can go in there for two hours and then you can pull it out, unwrap it, and it can cool down so that you can handle it or whatever. And then we'll heat it up on the stovetop prior to service. Okay. So now you can take a break <laughs> because you've got uh, a couple of hours of just idle time. And the next step we will step into is uh, poaching our pears. Now with this, you want, you want pears that are kind of hard. I got those red pears. They're nice and firm. Uh, you can do like a Bosch. Or, I mean, even if you get into like your green pears or something like that, I mean, generally I just assume that your brown and red pears are harder and firmer than your green or yellow pears, but, uh, you know, feel them at the grocery store, find, find ones that are nice. I did specifically try to find ones that still had the stem attached just because I thought it looked more rustic, I guess, like a little bit more homespun to have the stem still attached to the finished poached pear, but it's not, it's not important or anything like that. 
Um, so you get your pears, same you know vegetable peeler, take the peel off of the pear, and then into, uh, you know, I did four pears, you can do six, you can do however many you need, but get a pot that can, you know, comfortably accommodate them. They can be touching, they can be in there kind of snugly or whatever, but you know, you don't want to, you don't want to have a giant pot with just like one pear in the middle, but you also don't want like a little saucepan where you're trying to cram them in there and mushing them around or anything like that. So get those pears in there in that pot, two cups of red wine. And what kind of red wine do you want? Uh, it really doesn't matter. I like something bold, something that's big, has a good flavor. I used, uh, it was like a freak show red blend. So it had like a lot of really good flavor, but it wasn't, it, there wasn't a lot of subtlety, subtlety to it. So you're not using like a, a real, you know, really delicate Pinot Noir, you know, a Cabernet Sauvignon, a Merlot, um, a, a Beaujolais, something like that. Um, but just like a big red wine, two cups of that into your pot. And then you want your, your like your spices, your poaching spices. This is going to produce a flavor, a flavor like cross section that is similar to mulled wine. So we're throwing in a few allspice berries, uh, just one whole nutmeg, um, a cinnamon stick, a couple cardamom pods, a couple of cloves. And then I used a few slices of our dried oranges, like our dehydrated oranges. You could use a fresh orange, which I used a fresh orange also, the zest of a fresh orange and the juice of that fresh orange, as well as a little bit of uh, honey, maybe like two tablespoons of honey. And my honey is like really thick. It's that like raw uh, local honey. So it's it comes out like um, almost like candy, but uh, that'll be nice. That'll sweeten up that wine. It'll make a nice poaching liquid. We're going to bring that up to a boil and then uh, knock the heat down so that it's just at a simmer and then cover that and let that simmer for 30 minutes. After 30 minutes, you can remove the pears into a bowl or whatever. And then we're later on, we're going to reduce the wine sauce and we're going to mount it with a little bit of butter. We'll talk about that shortly. But during that time, whenever you're simmering the pears in the wine, every once in a while with like a plastic spoon or something delicate, uh, take the lid off and roll the pears around so that you're getting good color saturation all the way around on the flesh of the pear. Because we basically want these pears to come out like a, a ruby red or mahogany or something like that, like a nice color. It just so happens that because I was using red pears to begin with, my finished poached pears had a very similar color to the pears when they started, but I did take the skins off and then poach them in wine to give them that red color. But yeah, remove them, put them in a bowl, set them aside. Uh, it's okay for those to cool down sufficiently. They're they're good hot, but they're also good cold, and it they'll just be moderately warm. You know, you can time this so that your pears are done about an hour before your chicken is done, and um, everything will everything will be nice temperature and nice uh, combination of textures and flavors and stuff like that. Now. Let's jump ahead to like getting that wine sauce prepared. What I did was using a sieve, I just uh, strained out all of the spices, you know, the cinnamon stick, the allspice, the cardamom, yada, 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 just so that I just have the wine, the honey, uh, a little bit of the essence of the pears and the, and the spices in there. Return that to the heat and bring it up to, um, you know, like a simmer. We're going to reduce that by at least half and then add about two tablespoons of butter to that. And that's uh, that's called mounting your sauce. What that's going to do is it's going to give it a nice silky sort of texture, a shiny, glossy surface. And it'll just it'll just make it a little bit more luxurious on the palate. 
it's not going to get super syrupy and thick. What we're basically going to do is we're going to spoon this over the pear once it's plated so that the pear has like a nice shiny appearance and an additional like punch of that wine sauce. And some of it will drip down and pool around the pear and that's fine. But uh, that's basically how we're producing that uh, sauce. Now, see what else? We want to prepare our walnuts and dried cranberries. So you're looking at a handful of both. I mean, you can measure this out if you want, but basically it's, you know, a small skillet with a handful of walnuts, whole, you can use whole, you can use halves, whatever, a handful of dried cranberries and, you know, one to two tablespoons of butter. And we're just going to sort of uh, lightly simmer those in that butter. Like the butter will get boi uh, not boiling, um, foamy, and it'll be a lively sort of pan and it'll It'll brown and soften the walnuts. It'll hydrate the cranberries with butter and it'll kind of leach out some of that cranberry flavor into the butter and uh, you'll cook all that. I added um, about a teaspoon of, actually it was less than a teaspoon, probably a half teaspoon of chili powder to this to give it like a little bit of a savory, spicy background flavor. You could do like a whole sprig of rosemary. That'd be really nice also, but a little bit of chili powder and then maybe a two teaspoons of sorghum syrup. You could use maple syrup. You could use brown sugar, basically a little bit of a sugary component to give it a little bit of a sticky candy sort of coating. Okay. And you just cook those for 15, 20 minutes and then reduce the heat to low just to keep everything from uh, solidifying or binding up too much. Like you want it to be sticky and sweet and savory and delicious like that, but you don't want to have to like scrape them off of the bottom of the pan with a metal spatula or something like that. So keep it on low to keep everything viscous and moving. All right, now we can get into our broccoli. So you get a couple of heads of broccoli. I mean, I just needed one. I wasn't making a ton of this. And it makes sense how you're gonna cut this, but then you get the actual head of broccoli and you're like, all right, where? Where are we going in here with the knife? What we're going to do is we're going to cut a cross section of this. We're basically cutting this broccoli into a broccoli steak, but it's hard to say broccoli steak because it's, that sounds like, it sounds like a vegetarian dish that's pretending to be just as satisfying and delicious as a real steak, but it's not. So, but we, but we want this broccoli to be flat, kind of two dimensional. So what you do is you look at it, uh, you know, height-wise, like looking up the stalk into the canopy of your broccoli heads and like kind of find a place where, all right, if I, if I insert my knife here and bifurcate this whole head of broccoli, some will end up on the left, some will end up on the right. Very little of it will actually fall off because I've, I've, I've severed it from its main branch, okay? And you can make probably two good slices in a head that will split that out into three pieces. Maybe maybe one on the end is a little bit more bulbous and you can bifurcate that one. And then you get your four broccoli steaks essentially. So, you know, get two heads of broccoli just in case you can't get as many uh, off of there as, that you, as you want. And then that broccoli can lay flat on a baking sheet, drizzle it with a little bit of olive oil, hit it with salt and pepper. And then again, whenever you're roasting your chicken at the end, you're going to bump that heat up to like 375, 400, just to brown the skin and crisp it up a little bit. And then remove your chicken from the oven, put the lid on, set it aside for it to rest, and then put your broccoli into the now elevated oven temperature, you know, 400 degrees for, you know, it'll probably take about 20 minutes. 
And what you're going for is a little bit of browning on the edges of the the trunk of your broccoli tree. And the uh, florets will start to singe around the outside and get a little crispy and a little brown. And that'll be pretty much exactly uh, what we're looking for there. 20 minutes at that, at that temperature. And you can leave it in there an extra five or 10, or you can pull it out five minutes early. Just whenever it's done, it's done. Pull that out. And then, you know, you're going to take your chicken out of the Dutch oven and over to a cutting board so that you can break it down into its constituent parts. Specifically, we want to get the breasts off of there in nice, big skin on portions, you know, like a five, six ounce chicken breast, something like that. And then you can also do the leg quarters and the wings or whatever. If you were doing a partridge, like a whole partridge, what I would probably do is take the breast off as an airline breast. That's where the breast uh, comes off of the, the main corpus of the bird with the wing still attached. Just because then it gives you a little bit of dark meat with the white meat. And it just, I don't know, it, it's kind of a, I think of it as like a mid-century preparation. Like it, it it's fancy but not for any particular reason. It's like, oh, the breast has the wing attached, so it's a fancy breast. Plus, partridge is a little bit smaller. I believe I believe the partridges that you can get from fossil farms are like between 16 and 18 ounces total. So just by having more of the bird attached there would just give you more more protein. I mean, realistically, if you get a small one, I mean, if you did, if you did this with quail, you could use the whole quail. If you wanted it to be, you know, if you had a nice big plate, you could just split the partridge, you know, down the breastbone, down the back backbone, and then serve half of a partridge. Um, you just don't want to overwhelm the plate with like, you know, a giant piece of poultry. You know what I mean? You kind of want to see all the component components. So plating this, you know, this is kind of the point is to be artistic about it. Oh, I, I never, we, we never finished up with the uh, butternut squash. So your squash is going to be nice and soft. Put that into a mixing bowl. Use your um, hand mixer, your beaters, and basically blend that up into a puree. You can add a little spot of butter, maybe like a teaspoon, just to kind of lubricate all of the uh, the squash there. Put that into a, a, a saucepan and then onto the stove on like medium low to medium and add, you could add a little bit of brown sugar or maple syrup. I used maple syrup, um, probably just like a teaspoon or so, just to sweeten it up a little bit. And then it adds a little bit more hydration so that you can whisk that together. You want this to be a nice smooth puree. You could use sweet potato if you wanted. If you wanted uh, something that wasn't orange, you could, do, you could do mashed potatoes. You could do mashed rutabaga. That'd be nice. That would have like a similar sweetness to like a sweet potato. But you get that all whisked up into a nice puree. And then using a large serving spoon or a tablespoon or something like that, put a splat of that on your plate and then kind of smear it around into a spiral shape. You want this to look messy. It's sort of just a um, like a Jackson Pollock foundation for your plate. And then uh, lay across one of your broccoli steaks so that it is going to be visible to everything. Kind of like at the, if you're looking at your plate, kind of at the uh, three o'clock to 12 o'clock position. You know, lay down your, your broccoli steak there and then very gently um, set one of your poached pears in beside the, the broccoli and you can spoon some of that red wine butter sauce over the top of the pear. Uh, lay one whole, you know, boneless 
skin on as perfect as you can cut this off of the bird, chicken breast along at the uh, like the six o'clock to nine o'clock position, and then in the void between the broccoli and the chicken where you have a nice little uh, bed of butternut squash there, you can put a, a couple of tablespoons of your candied walnuts and cranberries, dried cranberries in there just kind of as a garnish, and then some finely chopped tarragon would finish that off. Uh, and you can hit it with a little pepper, a little salt, whatever, but it's going to be very simple, uh, all those components, and it comes together, and it looks really beautiful. I was really happy with, you know, the uh, the photograph of the finished plate. But yeah, the, the key is to be judicious about the quantities of things that you're plating so that everything kind of stands on its own, uh, works well with all the other parts, but doesn't, like, overcrowd the plate, doesn't look like a giant pile of just... Um, disparate food products or whatever. But you get that together real nice and it is delicious. Each combination, I mean the 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 broccoli is is surprisingly savory. It's 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 very similar to the chicken in that regard, just like salt and pepper and olive oil. That pear has to be the standout component of this dish. Even my son said that th these pears are delicious. They've got that nice little like spicy backdrop from all the the dry spices that go into the wine. It's a beautiful color. And then you, you know, insert your fork in the top by the stem and just cut a, a crescent off of the outside. So you get like this two-tone thing with the nice translucent white pear inside with the ruby poached, you know, wine exterior. And then you grab a piece of chicken, slide it through that butternut squash, and holy cow, it is delicious. And it's fun. You know, partridge in a pear tree. Credit goes to Marcy Joe Loafmansney, who suggested this on a Facebook post. I was like, hey, what should I make this weekend? She's like, oh, no, partridge in a pear tree. I was like, guess what? I actually have an idea for that. So that's what we're going to run with. So here it is. Partridge in a pear tree. Give this a shot. It's fun. It's easy. People will be really impressed and knock it out before before New Year's because, you know, you, you throw this together in like March. I feel like I feel like the cleverness of it's going to be lost. OK, you got to do it during the Christmas season, sometime between Thanksgiving and New Year's Day. And uh, everybody will love you for it. <laughs> OK, have a Merry Christmas. I think Hanukkah is over at this point. If you celebrate Hanukkah, I hope it was nice. Um, I'm sure there's other ones in there. You know, it's the Christmas season or it's the holiday season because all the cultures in the world, you know, got to do something for winter solstice and the new year and, you know, the consuming uh, the fat of the prior year's harvest, whatever it is, you know, whatever motivates people to generate a, a holiday on the calendar. Uh, that is the time and enjoy your families, enjoy good food. And uh, we'll talk to you guys when we talk to you guys next. Thank you. Bye.